Welcome to Trinity this morning, and it is such a blessing to have you guys worship with us today, and I pray uh, for us that, that God may uh, bless each one of us by being together with the body of Christ today. I was with a group of pastors this week, and we were talking about the busy nature of our society today. It seems as though there are so many things that are grabbing at our time and our schedules And as we were talking, the thought came across my mind, what a privilege it is for me that individuals will come and participate with us in worship on a Sunday morning when there are about a hundred other things that we feel as though perhaps we could be doing. You know, related to this is the tendency within our culture to marginalize the church, almost as if the message of the church or the the participation in church has become something that we do when there is nothing else to do. It's something that we, we enjoy at certain times, but other times we kind of push it aside. Actually, what typically happens in our society is that we are willing to embrace certain messages of the church yet quickly cast aside messages that we don't like, things that perhaps make us uncomfortable. For example, the world hungers for an all-inclusive idea like love or grace, yet pushes aside uh, the gospel message when it includes ideas like sin and holiness and even accountability. Of course, the problem with that is that those words were all a part of Jesus' vocabulary. And they should be a part of ours too. In other words, grace and love are important parts of the body of Christ. And we ought to embrace that. But God also called us to walk in holiness. The most prominent issue that is being debated within the United States and even within the church today has been over the issue of homosexuality. I would first like to note that homosexuality is in no way a greater sin than any other sin. However, it is also no less a sin than any other sin. And as with any sin, the Wesleyan Church and God teaches that God has the ability to redeem all of humanity from sin, setting us free so that we are able to walk in his goodness and righteousness moving forward. The reason I bring that up is this past week, a sister denomination renewed their debate over this issue with 111 of their current pastors coming out of the closet, so to speak. What's most concerning to me is the fact that such things no longer surprise us within the church. In fact, while there was a day that the church dictated the moral compass of America, that role has now become reversed. It would seem that it is now our nation that determines the moral compass of our church. I bring this up in order to pose a question to you this morning. How do we keep from allowing this to take place in our church? How do we keep from becoming a church that leans only on grace or that leans so heavily on righteousness that we become legalistic? How do we keep the church from only grabbing a hold of the things that we like, and casting aside the things that make us uncomfortable. I suggest that the answer to these questions is found in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, and we're going to look at that this morning. I believe that it'll be on the screen in just a moment. 
This is what it says from the New International Version. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. As we look at this passage, we see a recipe for a church becoming the church that would honor God. Now, we talked about this a little bit in our midweek service, and we talked about some of the things that ought to be present in the church. For example, uh, one of the things that uh, has happened in our society is the Word of God and its value has become diminished. The Word of God is unchanging, and therefore it is the same as it was 2,000 years ago. But what has happened is over time we have decided certain verses don't matter to us anymore. I actually uh, had a conversation with an individual who shared with us that, um, and this was an individual, since I used the example of homosexuality, uh, they had planted a homosexual church. And by the way, they accept people who are not homosexual, but that is their primary focus is to minister to those who are from a homosexual background. And uh, the question was asked, what do you do with passages that call homosexuality sin? And the response was simple. We skip it. What has happened in our society, I use that as an example, is we have in many ways embraced certain passages of Scripture and then diminished the value of others. We sort of justify, well, that really doesn't apply to us because it was written to a culture that was 2,000 years ago. However, as God inspired individuals to write the Scriptures, God knew the things that we would be facing today. Therefore, the same things that God wrote then actually still apply to us today. We must recognize that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And if anything, Jesus calls us to keep the law that God has given to us. Keeping the word of God central is incredibly important to the body of Christ. But the second most important thing has to be this issue of prayer that is introduced here in Colossians chapter 4. We need to be devoted to prayer, but what must we pray for? My first thought is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All of us have prayed that prayer probably I know for me, we used to pray it in church all the time. Uh, I played on a football team, and I know that things have changed since then. But in our high school, before every game, uh, our team would pray the Lord's Prayer. It has become something we're very familiar with. But understand that it is more than just a ritual. It is a call for us to truly honor God in the way that we pray and in the way that we live. If we look specifically at this passage, there are certain things that we ought to be praying for if we are to keep the church focused on him above all else. In the case of Colossians 4, Paul 
is in prison for his faith. So he says, pray for us. We need to be praying for the body of Christ. In America, it's rare that Americans are imprisoned for their faith. However, it should be noted that Paul didn't pray that he would get out of prison. Notice that he says, pray for me. But he doesn't say, pray that I would be released. But rather, he wants people to pray that God would use him, even where he is. To proclaim the mystery or the message of Christ clearly to those whom he is surrounded by. I would suggest that although prison is not an issue, it is important that we pray for the body of Christ, that we would remain faithful even when the world is hostile toward our message. We must constantly be lifting up the body of Christ because we are not in this alone. We need one another and we need the spirit of God to move, to strengthen us, to give us the ability to be that voice in the world. There was a time, as I stated earlier, that the church dictated the moral compass of our nation. But now that it seems as though that has changed, our nation is more desperately in need of the church today than it ever has been before. It is incredibly important that we pray for the body of Christ, that we would not only walk in victory, but we would be willing to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It has become almost uh, popular to ridicule the church. When individuals proclaim Christ, it's almost as if uh, it, it is a license to mock the individual. Politically speaking, the idea of Christian values being presented in the public eye is a reason for hatred. Part of the reason is because we have not done a very good job of modeling Christ. So we need to pray that that does not take place. What has happened is, again, as I stated earlier, we have leaned towards certain aspects of Christ. Maybe we focused on the holiness of God and in many ways become legalistic. To the point that we no longer show the world around us the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. That is wrong. Or we have become just like everybody else and we just have decided we're going to accept everything and we're no longer going to be set apart. We're no longer going to be different. And the rest of the world looks at us and they say, well, why would anyone want to be like you when you have tried to just be like everybody else? We need to pray for the body of Christ that we would be truly set apart. But at the same time, we would offer grace and love to those in our society who have not yet become set apart by the grace of Jesus Christ. We need to pray for one another. Pray that the message of Christ would never fail. What is the message? It is the message or the mystery according to this passage of Christ. The simplest way to define that message is through the lens of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In this sacrificial act, Christ made a way for all of humanity to be forgiven of sin and even set free from sin. I was thinking this week about uh, the just act of forgiveness that God offers. It's actually an unjust act. 
when you think about it, uh, if, if you were sitting in a courtroom and you were watching a trial take place of an individual who had committed a horrible crime, maybe it was an individual who, because of a DUI, took the life of a small child. And you sat back and you were watching and awaiting justice. And the judge stood up behind his bench and he said, I forgive you for what you have done and therefore there are no consequences. You would cry out with anger over what has taken place, especially if it was your child. You would be furious that justice was not taking place on this particular occasion. But in many ways, that's exactly what God has done for us. We were guilty of sin and the wages of our sin is death. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus said, I will not make you pay that price. I will pay that price. Now we come before God the Father and he offers us forgiveness, even though it was his son that died. That's not justice. It's grace. What a beautiful gift that is. But imagine the same individual who is been convicted of a DUI, taking the life of a child, now being forgiven, walking out, getting drunk, and then getting behind the wheel again. What would you say? I told you so. Never should have been forgiven. That was ridiculous. That's the judge's fault that that took place. By the way, in our case, it was the judge's son who died. And therefore, if he chose to forgive, it was up to him. It is a ridiculous idea that an individual could be shown such grace, yet then continue to do the same things over and over again. Jesus Christ didn't come merely to forgive us of sin. He came to set us free so that we would no longer have to repetitively go back to the same thing over and over again. In this sacrificial act, Christ made a way for all of humanity to be forgiven and set free. Pray that we would never lose sight of that message. Pray that we will never forget that it was this message that gave us hope. And it is this message that must go with us until the day of Christ's return. Speaking of which, while the first thing we must do is pray, the second thing we must do, according to this passage, is to be watchful. But what is it that we are to be watchful of? We must first watch for the coming Christ. We must never forget that there is coming a day when Christ will return. I share that not only as a word of encouragement regarding the future, but also as a little bit of motivation for us. We were talking earlier about praying for the body of Christ to remain faithful. Well, consider the idea that your faithfulness will carry with it a reward. In other words, as we are watchful, we must be careful in the way we live because there's coming a day that we'll be held accountable. When I was a youth pastor, uh, I had the privilege of also serving as a substitute teacher. Uh, I actually enjoyed doing that. Uh, It created some great ministry opportunities for me. 
Um, I had a youth group, about a dozen to 15 kids for the most part, until the uh, last couple years we were there, the youth group exploded and we had incredible growth. But um, my kids and I had an understanding. If they showed up to school one day and I was a substitute teacher, now there were certain things I was not allowed to initiate a conversation about, but I could answer any question. So my kids knew that the first thing they were supposed to do is to ask me what I do for a living. And then I could tell them I was a pastor and it opened up a door. I could tell people about Christ as long as someone else asked the question first. I loved being a substitute teacher because I got to talk to so many kids. It was a wonderful experience. I will tell you that there were times, though, with any teacher, you would experience that moment when the teacher walks out of the room and you know what so often happens. Kids go crazy. They start doing dumb things. And you wonder to yourself, do they even have a mom or a dad? You know that they do, but you just wonder what is going through their minds. And I remember on multiple occasions, there were at least three times where I would have to walk out of the room and I would come back and I would think these aren't the same kids that I saw when I walked out. If they knew I was coming back at a specific time, they would have been back in their seats and they would have been ready. I wonder sometimes why God didn't just tell us this is when the Lord's coming back. Instead, what Jesus tells us is that there will come a time that Christ will come back, but he will come like a thief in the night. He will come at a time when nobody expects, because if the homeowner had known when Christ was going to be coming or when the thief was going to be coming, he would have been ready. I wonder why Jesus didn't tell us exactly when. Actually, part of the reason he tells us that no one knows the day nor the hour, only the Father himself knows. I would suggest that there is a good reason why Christ did not tell us. Had Christ told us a specific time when the Lord would return, what would have happened was we would have lived with our sin, lived in our sin, all the way up until the very end, until the very last minute. And then we would have said, okay, now we have to make things right between us and the Lord. But instead, what Jesus did was he said, you need to be ready Because whenever that day comes, you will not know it. It will catch you by surprise. You need to make sure you're ready now. I would suggest that the body of Christ today needs to ask themselves, are we ready for the return of Christ? Are we watching for the return of Christ? Are we looking forward to that day? Heard a pastor preach one time and he was going through a series on the, the W questions, the who, the why, the what. His favorite message was the one on when, where he posed the question, Lord, when will you come? When will you put an end to the sorrow of this world, the pain of this world, the sin that dominates this world? When will you come back to take your children to be with you? And I will suggest to you today, That's a great question to ask. When? It seems as though God has put the brakes on. It's almost like he wants to come and he wants to judge, but for some reason he simply has not. I think of the people of Nineveh. I think of the sin that existed in that moment in time. And I wonder if God passed judgment so quickly upon them, why did he not also pass judgment on us? By the way, that's referring to Nineveh because there was a time that God 
released them from their punishment. Remember, Jonah went and he ministered to them, and they were spared because they repented. Yet, a hundred years later, they would be destroyed. Then you have the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The destruction that came upon them because of the immorality that existed. And you wonder to yourself, how much more immoral could the world be today as opposed to at that point in time? Think about the days of Noah when God chose to flood the entire earth because he looked upon the hearts of man and he saw that every intent was on evil. And you wonder how different the hearts of man would be today. And it causes us to ask the question, when? Lord, when will you choose to exact punishment upon the world? I don't know when that day is coming, but I do know that we have the responsibility to be ready. According to this passage today, we are to be watchful, looking forward to the day. And I love the idea of looking forward, not with fear or regret, but with anticipation. You guys have heard me say it before. My favorite verse of scripture is Revelation 3.21. that says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. That is a beautiful image. I look forward to that win question being answered. Not because everyone else is going to get what they deserve, but rather because I know that when that day comes, I will get to be in the presence of an almighty, loving, and gracious God who will welcome me in there. We need to be watchful for that time because it is coming. And as we are watchful, we must also be careful to watch our behavior. Paul talks about being wise toward outsiders and make outsiders and making the most of every opportunity. I love this image of wisdom and being opportunistic as we see here. It reminds me of Jesus's parable of a shrewd money manager. The man is blessed with a job and is suddenly in jeopardy of losing his job. Realizing he's about to be out on the street, he begins to cut deals with other businessmen that his boss has been dealing with. That's interesting that what this man does is dishonest. But Jesus doesn't tell this story as a rebuke of the man. He commends the man for being shrewd, for being opportunistic. It should be noted that dishonesty is never an acceptable practice for those who are in the body of Christ. But let's not be foolish about how we deal with those in our world. It is a broken world that is desperately in need of Christ. We look at the immorality that takes place, the violence that takes place in our society, and never before has the body of Christ had an opportunity like we have now. There is such a need for reconciliation in our community. That was the focus last week, us being reconciled to the Lord and reconciled to one another. We need to offer reconciliation to our world. Bringing the message of Jesus Christ to people that are broken can offer hope where it seems as though we are completely hopeless. Look at the opportunities that sit in front of you as the people in your world are desperately looking for someone who is real. I was talking with someone this week, and he was talking about the sin that has existed in a family member's life. 
And we were talking about the opportunity that he has to simply show the hope of Jesus Christ and the choices that he makes today. You have an opportunity. You make good use of that opportunity. Be wise about the way you handle yourself in front of others. Show them what it is to be a transformed individual. You be the light and the hope to them. The last part of this challenge that is here is to be thankful. He actually tells them to be full of grace. And I love that idea of being full of grace. And at the root of being full of grace is the idea that we have received such grace already. I began this morning by identifying some of the immoral issues that folks have had to deal with and that the church has had to deal with. But I suggest to you today that just as they are in need of grace, we were too. Every one of us is a sinner who has been saved by grace. Never forget the grace that he has extended to you. What have you been taken from? What sin plagued you that dominated your life that determined who you were and who you were going to be until the grace of Jesus Christ stepped in and redeemed you and brought you hope and victory and freedom? It is the grace of Jesus Christ that has been poured out to us that we must now be pouring out to others. I think sometimes one of the problems that the church has is that we forget exactly how much grace was extended. You know, we've been in the church for so long, we just kind of look at other people's lives and we think to ourselves, can you believe they would act like that? And then maybe we forget that that was us. (laughs) Except for the grace of God, there go I. We must be people who are full of grace. First of all, recognizing the grace that was given to us, but also the grace that our world needs. The other thing that he calls us to as a part of being thankful is not just being full of grace, but being seasoned with salt. What does that mean? I'll tell you, I love new believers because sometimes they tend to be a little more seasoned with salt. Sometimes they'll say things that the rest of us think, but we just know we're not supposed to say it. I would suggest that the body of Christ... Although we are to become holy vessels, we must still be seasoned with salt. Salt is a preservative, something that keeps something fresh, that keeps it from becoming sour and bitter. But it is also something that adds flavor, something that gives value to something that, for example, I'm not really a big French fry guy, but you put enough salt on it, I like them. I think that the body of Christ needs to be seasoned with salt. Where we show people that there can be joy and life even now within the body of Christ. I can choose to walk in the holiness of God and still bring joy and life and flavor to my world. For too long, there have been churches that have given the idea that church is straight-laced and serious all the time. I can have fun as a child of God. And I want the world around me to know that the body of Christ is alive because of the spirit of Christ that dwells within us. We need to be people who bring hope and joy to the world around us. 
I'll tell you, I'm not your typical pastor. You guys already know that. One of the things that I really do not do very well is compassion. I admit it. It is not my spiritual gift. Um, If someone whines to me, it's hard for me not to just say, get over it. I know that as a pastor, I'm not always allowed to say that. Sometimes that's exactly what needs to be said, but that is just not my spiritual gift. I'll tell you, when I go and visit you in the hospital, my goal, although I will pray for you and I will try to encourage you, my goal at some point is to make you laugh. Because sometimes while we're in the hospital, we become so focused on our illnesses and the problems that we have, the reason that we're there. And we forget that there's a whole lot of stuff that we can simply enjoy because we have the Spirit of God alive within us. Let me suggest that we as the body of Christ ought to be bringing a joy that the rest of the world is envious of. We have so much to live for. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in us. You be the salt that actually brings flavor to other people's lives. I would suggest to you today that the church in America has a great future, but that future is based primarily on us getting back to the things that are most important, which is Jesus Christ. Someone brought out to me this week the letter to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. The church had lost its first love. They had lost their passion and their hunger for Jesus Christ. He had become secondary to the other things that were taking place around them. They were doing some good things, but they had lost their first love. In the letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus gives them a remedy for the situation. He says, go back and do the things that you did at first. It is time for us as the body of Christ to go back and do the things that used to be important to us. Spending time in God's word, spending time praying for one another, and celebrating the grace and the love of Jesus Christ as we seek him with all of our hearts. If we would do that, the future of the church in America is amazing. God's going to do great things through the body of Christ. Let it begin in this place. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are grateful today that you have set us apart. You have called us to be different, to be transformed. You have extended your grace to us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free from every sin. Lord, as we come before you today, we say thank you. But we ask that from this moment forward, you would be the one that would enable us to go out and to make a difference in our world. We recognize a broken world that is desperately in need of you. Help us to be opportunistic. Help us to be the ones who would bring flavor and hope and joy to the people around us. Lord, I pray for the body of Christ. I pray that you would keep us strong. Help us to be that living example, ambassadors for you. Lord, I pray that you would use us. Give give us the strength to stand even when nobody else will stand. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to become the body of Christ that you called us to be. And we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I do thank you guys for being a part of our service today. I will tell you next Sunday we're starting a new service. 
I'm not a new service, a new series uh, that is going to be focused on specifically uh, the book of Genesis as we look at God inspiring the people of God very early on, pointing to him in everything that they did. So hopefully you can join us for that. We would love to have you. Again, thank you for being with us and go in peace.